and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Edmund Harris, Portfolio Manager of the Guinness Asian Equity Income Fund. Edmund has managed Asian funds since 1994, both from London and from Hong Kong. He worked for 10 years from 1993 for Guinness Flight, which became Investec after the merger in 1998. After joining the Far East Investment Desk in 1994, he served as a member of the investment team managing the China and Hong Kong Fund, now the Guinness Atkinson China and Hong Kong Fund, for US investors. He moved to Hong Kong and became the fund's lead manager in 1998. He graduated from Christchurch University of Oxford with a master's degree in management studies and has a bachelor's degree in history from the University of York. Edmund is an associate of the Society of Investment Professionals. So by way of introduction to the fund, could you perhaps tell us what the objectives and the strategy are? Sure. The objectives of this fund are to try and identify the highest quality companies in an objective fashion uh, operating in Asia that have a demonstrable track record of riding the growth and development of that region and delivering cash-based profitability, that is, well, above its cost of capital, and for the evidence of that uh, ability to come through in dividend growth over time. Okay. So with, with that in mind, obviously, we're, we're talking about uh, an Asian fund. What, what are the sector and, and geographical weightings of the fund? Our biggest uh, sector exposures are to the financial sector, through, uh, to technology, uh, to consumer discretionary, and to healthcare. Um, the areas that we tend to find, um, those companies that have offered a stable and long-term profile of high returns on capital uh, and lower cyclicality, mean that we don't look um, very much at the materials areas and the energy area. Um, utilities are also an area that we don't spend much time on because these tend to be lower return businesses. So what we're aiming for are companies that have generated high returns on capital for a long time that we believe are likely to persist, but are priced by the market as if they won't. So our bias is very much towards looking at sectoral exposure. Countries are less important to us, but um, in, in terms of sort of where we are at, we are underweight versus the benchmark China, Korea, Australia. We are overweight um, in Singapore, in Taiwan. And in fact, we have a couple of names that are listed in the US that do a lot of business in the region as well, um, also included in the portfolio. Okay, you've, you've um, briefly touched on dividends there. Is there anything you're, or, or sorry, what are you looking for in, in specific stocks? It is those companies whose activities um, are run most efficiently, where, they, where these companies have a sustainable competitive advantage, which translates into superior uh, profitability and cash flow generation. So when we're looking for dividend-paying companies, what we are concentrating on is the engine, the, the assets um, that the, the company has at its disposal to generate superior cash flow generation. And so you know, what we're looking for, therefore, 
high quality companies uh, that are uh, that are cash flow generative. Okay, so to add some further colour to that, could you possibly talk us through uh, perhaps a few of your top holdings or positions? First of all, I would say in the technology sector, that is an area in Asia, particularly in technology manufacturing that the region is specialising in. Um, these tend to be um, very profitable areas. And one company that we like particularly is Elite Material, which is a manufacturer of laminates for printed circuit boards uh, that has developed a, a very good niche in um, in the smartphone area, particularly in the high-end smartphone area, but are also growing exposure now to um, IT infrastructure, to, to data centers um, and the like. And this company is generating a return on capital that is above 20% now and has grown its dividend by around 10% per annum over the last five years. So it's got a track record, um, but we also think that the prospects over the next two, three, four years are extremely good for this company. In the financial area, where we have around 24% of the fund, um, we have a couple of examples of, of banks that, uh, that I like. Um, DBS in Singapore, China Merchants Bank uh, in China. And the qualities underlying both um, are quite similar in that they have been investing in technology that has improved both the sources of revenue that the banks themselves uh, can build upon, but also have improved their risk management controls as well. So both of them have higher asset quality than their peers, the result of which has been higher margins, higher growth in the more stable fee income area, returns on capital about the same, around, uh, around 13%, and have grown their dividends steadily over the last five years. In the case of DBS, it's grown around 8% per annum. In the case of China Merchants Bank, it's grown around 13% per annum. But again, what we're looking for are companies that are generating surplus cash that they are able and willing to, to share with their investors. On the consumer discretionary side, um, where the fund has around a 21% exposure, um, a good example, I think, is Shenzhou International, um, which is a textile manufacturer and clothing manufacturer uh, for a range of clients, including uh, Uniqlo in Japan, but also for Adidas, for Puma, uh, for Nike, but also Ralph Lauren. So there's got quite a, a broad array uh, of, uh, of clients. They have manufacturing facilities in China, in Vietnam, in Cambodia. And they're a very good example of a company that has been reinvesting in capital equipment, improving the efficiency of its production, and has left it very well placed, particularly at a time of significant disruption um, caused by COVID, for example. So its Vietnam factories um, are now operating at very, very low levels because of outbreaks of COVID there, but they have alternatives. Um, they have alternative production facilities, and these production facilities um, are very efficient. So the company itself has managed to um, report increased efficiency, like a 14% efficiency uh, sort of unit of output per, per, per unit of labor. So this company has generated a return on capital around the 14% mark. And if you think that the 
the average real cost of capital for an industrial company is around 8%. You know, you've got a comfortable margin um, of wealth creation for, uh, from this business. And it has delivered uh, dividend growth of around 15% per annum over the last five years. So what we would have in common amongst all of these companies um, are strong managements, strong market positioning, um, in our foresight to be investing um, to to develop their business, um, but also are very well positioned for uh, for current conditions where uns- levels of uncertainty are clearly rising. Patently, we've we've had a, a, a quite extraordinary last eighteen months or so. Um, how have you found that the fund has been coping during that period of time? It's gone through about three stages. In the initial phase um, of COVID, so the first three months of, uh, of 2020, markets sold off very heavily. And our fund, which is very much more focused on the movement of physical goods, um, direct personal engagement in a lot of cases, uh, because of the nature of their businesses, um, sold off the heaviest of all. Um, then we moved into a phase of sort of post-COVID, as it were, sort of a, a sort of a recovery phase as governments responded to these economic conditions and provided huge stimulus. Um, and so markets began to move and the growth sector did particularly well. And by growth stocks, we're talking about those businesses that are in the in the um, asset-like businesses, high return sort of businesses, um, and it was very much reflected, particularly in the sort of technology space and uh, and technology services space. Our fund uh, rose along with that, but not by as much for about a nine-month period. But from October, things changed. From October 2020 and since then, uh, the fund has been outperforming. Um, And that is because I think that markets have now um, readjusted, well, have adjusted again, um, and are now focusing on companies that are generating profits today, um, that have operational strength in a time when we're finding that uh, buying patterns, consumer patterns are oscillating. We're seeing um, resurgences uh, of COVID outbreaks. We're seeing supply disruptions. We're seeing higher input costs. Which companies out of that are the best placed to defend market position, to pass on rising costs, to control their production costs? These leading companies with a bias towards operational strength uh, tend to be the ones um, that that folk have been interested in. So from an operational point, they're attractive. And from a valuation perspective, while growth was making all the running last year, these stocks have been left looking pretty cheap. I mean, the aggregate valuation of companies in our portfolio is still some 20% below the market average. So here you've got a bunch of companies where profits have been good, and have been growing, dividends have been growing, and yet stock market valuations have remained at lower levels because these these companies have been out of favour. And I think that, as I say, this started to change in October, 
And the fund has been doing well since then. And I think as we go into an era where taxes are starting to pick up, governments are going to have to start recouping their costs. You're talking about maybe the Federal Reserve not buying bonds as aggressively as they were. Things are going to get a little bit tougher from a valuation perspective. And so the focus is going to be, I think, on these companies that say they're profitable, report good profits, give you a dividend that that matches that profitability, um, and are looking, as I say, undervalued compared to to the broad market. So, so bringing that all together, and uh, you, you've just answered it very eloquently. Uh, presumably, um, you're quite happy with your current positioning um, based on your outlook from here. I am. I mean, the focus that we have is always to try and maintain this sort of positive relationship between the the three parts of the total shareholder return, which is companies that we think are able operationally to sustain their profit growth and return on capital, that are not capital hungry and therefore are generating more cash than they need to fund the reinvestment and, and growth and ongoing prospects of that business. And that excess cash comes to you in a dividend. And if you see those two parts working together, then I think you've got a, the basis to expect some multiple expansion and valuation support, and that is your, your capital upside. So we look at it very much on a on a stock-by-stock stock basis. I mean, we run a 36-stock equally weighted portfolio. All the companies within it have the same basic investment case, returns on capital, that have been above the cost of capital for many years that we think are likely to persist and priced as if they won't. Um, and that is what we are looking for and to create a portfolio of these companies that are drawing on different areas within the region that are not linked to a particular economic theme um, or trend because these can move away from you very, very quickly. Who's doing good business? And good business means that they are selling more than their peers and they're sustaining their prices, controlling their costs, generating cash, giving you some of it and growing that stream each year. And that, I think, in this more uncertain environment um, where trends can break down very, very quickly, I think that's that's something you can hang your hat on. Fascinating explanation. Um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So. Many thanks again for your time, Edmund, of those valuable insights. That's Edmund Harris, Portfolio Manager of the Guinness Asian Equity Income Fund. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at iii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.